Well, good morning, everyone. Again, it's so wonderful to see all of you. Do you believe this? Did you know that it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub in Arizona? It's true. Did you know that in Alaska, kangaroos are prohibited from entering barbershops? Believe it or not, it's a real law. And did you know that in Oregon, ministers are banned from eating garlic or onions before preaching? And I, <laughs> and I bet you, <laughs> yes. I bet you didn't know that in South Dakota, it's illegal to fall asleep in a cheese factory. Yes, get your laughter out now. <laughs> These are all very odd laws, but they're all true. And of course, I'm giving these laws as a lighthearted example. But unbelief and failing to acknowledge what is true can be a serious problem. Unbelief can be a life or death issue when it relates to Jesus and the gospel. Jesus faced unbelief throughout his earthly ministry. Many people rejected his words. Take our passage for today in Matthew 13, 53 through 58. The text says, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom in these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This passage seems straightforward, right? I mean, the narrative's pretty easy to follow. Jesus taught in his hometown of Nazareth. The people knew who he was and were not impressed, so they rejected him. End of story, right? But beneath the surface, we see the crowd's unbelief, the crowd's hard-heartedness. Yes, the passage tells us the crowds were astonished, but astonished is an interesting word. Astonishment is different than belief. They didn't believe in him. Their astonishment led to judgmental thinking. They didn't have faith. They didn't turn to him as the long-awaited Messiah. They continued in their hard-heartedness. They still held their prejudices and were offended by his message. Was familiarity a problem? They knew his family. They knew his parents and siblings. They knew who Jesus was. He did not get an education with the rabbis. They had watched him grow up. He was a carpenter. He didn't have scholarly religious credentials. And now, you would think that they could still come to a logical conclusion. Even though Jesus didn't study with the rabbis, he taught with wisdom and authority and performed many miracles. So Jesus must be sent from God, right? Sadly, that's not at all what the crowd saw. In their bias, 
they judged him. His own hometown failed to honor them. Their unbeliefs clouded their minds from seeing the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Savior of humanity. So we can see how this passage talks about unbelief. But for a frame of reference, before we dive into the text, let's first look at what the Bible says about belief and unbelief over and over again. We see how the Bible presents belief as a God-ordained gift. In John 6, Jesus says belief is granted by God in saying, no one can come to him unless it is granted by his Father. In the book of Acts, we're told that belief is appointed by God. It says that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. In Romans, Paul reminds us that belief depends entirely on God and his mercy when he says, what shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Again, we see in Ephesians 2 that our belief, our salvation, is not our own doing. The text says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Those few verses really help us see how God providentially causes his people to believe in Christ, and how he works the miracle of salvation for him through his grace. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about unbelief. Unbelief is a serious issue. For humanity, it's a universal problem that prevents people from seeing the truth or causes them to try to create their own truth. 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us that unbelief is spiritual blindness by saying, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In John 3, we see that unbelief means loving the darkness. It says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Also, 1 Corinthians shows us that unbelief doesn't accept God's truth when it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
again, we see in the book of John that unbelief means that people look for salvation in the wrong places. Jesus declares, you do not have God's word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And Romans 1 reinforces the idea that unbelief is a failure to honor God by stating, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is just a small sample of verses, but the Bible paints a very clear picture of unbelief. Why is unbelief such a pervasive problem in humanity? I would assert that unbelief stems from total depravity. What is total depravity? Theologians use this term to describe how sin affects every aspect of human life. Total depravity simply means that ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, our human nature is totally against God. Our natural bent is to do that which doesn't please God. Now, let me be clear. Because of God working his goodness in the world, a person will not be as wicked or sin as much as they possibly could. But after Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, we as human beings are incapable of not sinning. In Ephesians 2, Paul describes how people are dead in sin, following the course of this unsaved world. So we may be physically alive, breathing and moving, but we're dead and unresponsive to spiritual things and the things of God. Paul also reminds us in Romans chapter 7 and 8 that nothing good dwells in our flesh. Flesh meaning our human nature apart from God, and that the mind of the flesh cannot submit to or please God. In our flesh, we don't love or seek God. Actually, we want to run away from him in his perfection. And as much as we'd love to give ourselves some credit, I believe the Bible says in many instances that we wouldn't choose him. We would not believe in him. So, how does all of this relate to our passage in Matthew? Jesus teaching in Nazareth? Well, we see the people's unbelief manifested in two ways. First, in the people's spiritual blindness and heart of unbelief, they were rejecting the one and only Messiah, God's true prophet. Jesus was not the first rejected prophet where people refused to believe his words. Prophets in the Old Testament often experienced difficulties and rejection because people didn't want to believe God's words. But Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is so much greater than any of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the one whom the Old Testament foretold, the promised savior who brings redemption. Jesus was not just God's appointed spokesman. 
but he is the eternal word who was in the beginning with God and who was God. He is truth and the source of all truth, speaking the very words of God and all that he proclaimed. But again, the people didn't want to believe the truth. The people of Nazareth wanted their own truth, a truth that fit their expectations. In their state of unbelief, they wanted a truth that seemed right to them. See, they were forming their thoughts on who the Messiah was from Jewish literature outside the Bible and writings from the Pharisees. So the Messiah, they thought, would overthrow the Roman government. The Messiah would restate Israel as a nation. So they were deceived in their thinking because they looked outside of God's word. They thought Jesus just can't be the one. The people of Nazareth did something else in their unbelief as well. They misplaced their hope. Many who would have heard Jesus speak would have been religious, pious Jews. But they weren't putting their hope and faith in God and his promises. They were putting their hope in being Jewish, in being the children of Abraham. They thought they were good to go. They trusted their own preconceived notions. But their religiosity and their rule-keeping didn't come from a heart of faith and trust in God's gift of grace. And even today, we're not immune to doing those things. We don't always like the truth. And sometimes, we want to self-create a truth that works well for what we want. But we can't create truth. Truth comes from God, and God reveals his truth through Scripture. So it's important that we rightly understand what the Bible says. We also have a tendency to place our hope elsewhere. We try to put our hope in the government. We try to place our hope in our education or career. Or we try to find hope in human ideologies or in our own religiosity. But that's not where we find hope. So what is the cure from this terrible condition of unbelief and sin and hard-heartedness? Where do we find our hope? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. It's faith in the one and only Savior. It's trusting in his saving work. It's putting our hope in him alone. We can't miss this. There is no salvation in anyone or anything else. We need a savior to rescue us from our sin and our unbelief. This is the truth, that Jesus came to earth, fully God, fully man, perfectly fulfilled God's law by never sinning, went to the cross to die for sin, rose from the grave, and promises eternal life to all who believe in him for salvation. It's his sovereign grace alone that saves our sinful souls. Our salvation from start to finish is only through his grace and mercy. Let that truth sink in. Let it humble your heart and fuel your worship. It's by his mercy that he unconditionally chose us before time began to be his people. 
and by God's mercy, he ensures that his chosen people come to believe in his one and only son. By God's grace and the Holy Spirit's heart-transforming work, our unbelief is overcome. He mercifully regenerates our hearts. That is, completely changes us and gives us new spiritual life. He gives us faith in Jesus. This is good news because we don't deserve it and we can do absolutely nothing to earn this gift. Regeneration is all God's doing. It's all his initiative. His heart-changing grace is freely given with no mixture of human merit. Isn't that amazing? God alone changes our desires and rescues us from our spiritual disease. This is the truth that everyone needs to understand. This is the truth presented in the Bible. We always need to seek to understand the Bible correctly. We can't make up the truth, even if our brains think it's right. Every concept or teaching we hear should be held up to God's word because the entire story of scripture from start to finish presents God's redemptive story. This is the story we need to know. This is the precious gospel that we can't risk getting wrong. We need to believe what is true and avoid the trap of false thinking and the eternal consequences under God's just wrath and judgment for not believing in his son. Jesus is our only hope of rescue from our complete sinfulness. Do you believe this? I hope and pray you do, because this is the life-changing, heart-transforming, glorious news of the gospel. Don't reject the Savior. Believe in Jesus. And now Jesse will come up and lead us in a time of communion. <laughs>